0: episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, Triple P. I am solo on this one once again. Chad is not uh, with me uh, on the airwaves or in studio. He is still on hiatus. And as you've probably noticed, uh, the podcast has taken a bit of a pause. So we have all been kind of on hiatus for a tiny bit, but we had this gem still left in the, in the vault, so to speak. And so we wanted to get it produced and get it out to you because it is an awesome episode. An awesome awesome episode? Say that five times fast. Anyway, we have a very special guest. Heather Ross uh, joined us on the podcast and she is at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, We had the privilege of seeing and listening to her uh, at the Cascadia Summit last year. I know that was a, a while ago. Uh, but, uh, we nonetheless, uh, still had the opportunity to listen to what she had to say. She's got a blog. She does a lot of stuff at the university of Saskatchewan. So if you're not following her on Twitter or subscribe to her blog, you need to do that. All that information will be in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in and, uh, not sure when the next episode will come out. So please be patient with us. We will come back to the podcast Uh, but uh, we've just got some extra stuff that we need to take care of and kind of get some life sorted out and calmed down. And then uh, we'll dive right back into the uh, pedagogy podcast. So anyway, thanks again for tuning in and listening, and uh, we hope you enjoy this one. Take care. So get, get better quick, Chad, because I'm, I'm missing you here. But we have the Heather Ross from the University of Saskatchewan, and uh, we have some awesome things to talk about today. But before we get into that, Heather, would you mind telling us who you are and how you got into this world called OpenEd?
1: Okay, um, so I'm Heather Ross, I'm an Educational Development Specialist here at the Gwena Moss Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Saskatchewan. I've been here for a little more than eight years, um, I, we were talking before we started recording that um, I'm originally from the Los Angeles area and I now live in Saskatoon and the weather is definitely different. Um, but I've been here. I've been here um, uh, 23 years, and so I'm I'm used to it as much as one can be. Um, I uh, before I started working at the university, I actually worked at what is now Saskatchewan Polytechnic, and at the time was uh, the Saskatchewan Institute of Applied Science and Technology, so SIAS, uh, as an instructional designer there for six years. Uh, when I was doing my master's, which I finished up just as I started working there. um, I knew Alec Coros from the University of Regina and Rob Wall, who's uh, now a teacher, he teaches in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. And we, as a trio, went to a K-12 education conference here in Saskatoon. And they sort of were introducing me to this idea of open with a booth that the three of us set up to hand out CDs um, with software for starving students on it. Oh, and so, cool. uh, for those who don't know, it had things like Audacity and OpenOffice and all sorts of uh, open source tools. And so that got me really intrigued by this idea of of open source. And I'm not I'm not the techie person who would contribute to um, apps or software, um, but I was certainly using them. So it was it was right. It was quite an introduction for me. And then um, eventually, I, when I started working at the U of S, um, one of our undergraduate uh, student presidents um, had run on this campaign of open textbooks. And, and, but nothing was really happening with it. He was, the students were interested and, and he was trying to get people to, to start working in this area and nothing was really happening. Um, and then I downloaded a poster from the BC campus website I didn't change it in any way and I just tacked it up outside of the Teaching and Learning Center and I I got a a message one day from a professor in agriculture who was teaching the large first year agricultural economics course and he said hey I saw the poster and I'm using this open textbook for my class (laughs) and so that was our first large adoption and um, that was January 2015 he started using that so it's five years. and since then we've gone from about 300 students to, I think it was, the, I think this year we're at around 6,500. Wow. Students. Um, and so we've had significant growth mm-hmm. every year. Um, and it was just the, the the opportunities that open has, that I see it creating just on our institution. And, and then the stories that I hear from everybody else, they're, they're too enticing, not, me for me not to want to be pushing this right um i i i tend to think of myself as somebody who's i guess tilting at windmills here (laughs) um and i like that um i really i really like that i i know that there's instructors who are really happy with what i'm doing and then there's some that i think Actively avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> they oh, see you fifty
0: yards away, and they just start walking the other direction, right?
1: Yeah, please don't don't talk to me anymore about open.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Time out. We're done. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Yeah, I gave yeah. it the office. We're all fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I've been really fortunate because I've everybody I've worked for here, um, managers, directors, all the way up to vice provost um, for teaching and learning. Hmm are supportive of open. And so they've let me do this. Oh, that's um, awesome. And I, it's a privilege. I, I absolutely consider that a privilege. And I, I'm honored by, by uh, their trust in me to do that. Mm. Um, and I, le- I I actually was walking through. So our office is on the ground floor of the same building as the main library on campus. Okay. And just inside the library is actually a Starbucks. And so, um, <laughs> I try and get up from my desk every hour and a few times a day I'll get up and I'll just walk the ground floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other day, it, because one, it helps me like run into instructors and harass them and well, they're stuck in line at Starbucks. <laughs> but the other day I walked past this area where students were sitting and one of them had her laptop open and she was had the OpenStax business ethics book open. And it was oh. just like,
0: That's awesome.
1: I never, I never see those students. Mm -hmm. Like I see the instructors who are using them, but I don't ever get to encounter the students really. Mm -hmm. And just to see that it was just, you know, it was a nice, a nice uh, bonus for my walk.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. Hey, um, you've got a, you've got uh, a lot of different, uh, experiences in open. um, what are you, what are you, uh, captured by in the open world right now?
1: Possibility. Um, I, I see it as an opportunity to change education for the better in a number of ways. Um, open pedagogy has s- such potential, you know, we're, we're already trying to to move towards more active learning, and this is a, a great way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, absolutely, that that excites me. And this might be kind of controversial in the open community.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: um, but um, while that excites me, and I'm absolutely pushing that and working with faculty on that, I can't help but get excited when I think about how much money our students are saving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I when I walk in in the morning, I'll frequently duck in through um, the student union building just to cut through there on the way to my office and they have a food pantry that's really easy to see. And how can I not think about how important cost savings are for our students? It doesn't matter how good the course is. Mm -hmm. Students can't afford to be in the course. Um, So Um, cost savings is incredibly important to me Um, along with improving pedagogy that I don't think that we have to choose between those as to what we're valuing Um, if you ask the students what they value I think you'd be hard-pressed to find ones who said the active learning is the most important part as opposed to hey I didn't have to buy a textbook
0: yeah no I would agree I'm I teach organizational Mm -hmm. behavior at Mm -hmm. my institution and we just had our first night class last night and I've got 28 students in the class. This is the first class. Cause I just got approval for it. I just got uh, this first class to do the open organizational behavior textbook
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's 180 bucks for the textbook, right? For if they buy the the other one from, right. and I won't mention the publisher, but, um, 180 bucks. And I mean, 28 students and, and only one of them still chose to buy the textbook. Um, and all the rest of them are using the OpenStax one in it and i agree with you like it's just, and then here's the connection part i ask them how many how many people in this class are working right now like actively working full-time yep. and 90 percent of them put up their hand <laughs> i'm like okay so they're working full-time and they're in my class and then i say so how many of you are taking more than one night class this term <laughs> and all their hands stay up so they're taking two three classes a term at night working full-time Right, And I'm like, okay, this, this just solidifies that whole cost savings piece for me. And I'm sure you're aware too that in California, they were estimating that 30 to 40% of post ed students suffer from food and shelter anxiety. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, California's got the seven largest GDP in the world, right? Yeah. And, and and in Canada, our, our system is different education, I get that, but students shouldn't have to worry about where they're getting their food and where they're going to sleep.
1: Yeah. Um, I, hear, I hear from some instructors that, that our students are online at Starbucks and we have 18,000 undergraduate students. Wow. I would never be able to get something better if, if all of our students are in line at Starbucks. Yeah. Um, that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. And we, I, you know, I've never had, and I'm sure that there's some people out there who've had this experience, but I've never had an instructor come to me and say, students came up to me thank me for doing open pedagogy, but I've had instructors come up to me, come tell me that students came to them in tears of joy because they thought they would have to drop the course if they had to buy a textbook.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. And
1: so we, I don't think we have to choose one or the other. I think we need to be thinking about both of them, Mm -hmm. both the cost savings and the pedagogical advantages of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And do what we can. We're trying to improve education in in for these students, and both of those factors are important.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Thanks for saying that, because it's as somebody who's kind of new to the environment. I'm not so new anymore, but kind of new to the environment. I've always had this tension between okay, which pool do I dive into? Right? Do I dive into the resource area? Do I dive into the pedagogy area? Do I dive into this other area called andragogy? Like, and start piecing it all out like a trivial pursuit piece that goes around the board right yeah. and I'm thinking to myself why, why can't it be all of it why can't I find that beautiful tension between all of it to make it holistically important every piece of it because it's all yeah. important and some of it's important to me as a facilitator and an educator some of it's important to the student like you were saying and so I'm, I agree with you so thanks for saying that that's awesome yeah. um so let's chat a little bit about the fear of failure, okay? Because okay. this this comes up. I, w- I saw you at as a keynote back in uh, last year when you were a keynote for BC Campus at uh, a, a conference that we were doing. Yeah. And you talked a lot about the fear of failure and and the connection that it has to resilience. So and you posted in a in a in a in your blog uh, recently um, about Neil. Pashrika's book yep. I, and and you are awesome. And I'm just wondering how, how have you come to wrestle with your own fear of failure?
1: Hmm. Um, so for those who didn't see the keynote, one of the, the big things that I talked about was um, that every time we've had success with open at the university of Saskatchewan, i talk about our successes and every time something didn't go right, um, instead of saying, well, that's a departmental culture issue that, that, that they need to figure out. It was, no, I should have known that they had a departmental culture right. issue. And I was taking all of the, the failures on myself um, and not talking to anybody about it. Hmm. Um, and it, it completely wrecked me because I realized the more I thought about it, that I was doing that in pretty much every area of my life. Um, I was big on sharing successes and not so much of the failures and um, I think I think that's a huge problem um, we need to be talking about failures for a lot of reasons one is um, and Neil I think talked about it in the book is that um, you, it's when you get it out there when you talk about it it's it is cathartic and you're, you're getting it out of your head as opposed to just holding inside. So that's one thing. Um, The other thing is that you learn, you can learn from your failures. Um, If you really, you know, think about it as opposed to just, I'm a screw up. It was no, this, this, this was a screw up, (laughs) but it's not, and it's not necessarily you who's, it might be several people who are part of that. Um, when you talk about it in the open, other people learn from your failures. Um, and that, that brought me to kind of my final point was that um, when we don't talk about our failures, and and was I was speaking in terms of the open community, but when we don't talk about our failures and we only talk about our successes, then when especially new people come into the community, that feels to them like the bar is really high. Yeah. And they, if they fail, well, what's wrong with them as opposed to, no, everybody's going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is that idea of, and he, he talked about this in the book too, was um, people who have huge successes, they've, they've made a lot of attempts and they've had a lot of failures along the way. Yeah. And when we don't share those, then it's not reality. It's, it's Instagram.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. That's a good yeah. point.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I think that we need to be learning from each other. Um, you know, if you have a problem, if you have a problem with some form of something, say, um, you have an open stacks book and you're trying to get into press books. We all know that that has been a challenge at times. Um, so if, if you did it and it went horribly wrong the first few times, but you, you did all these things to fix it. And all you did was put it out and say, Hey, look what we did. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to somebody else trying that, and it doesn't go smoothly because it didn't go smoothly for you either, but they right. don't know that. Right. And they just figure what is wrong with me that I can't do this. And it's not even, you know, what's wrong with the situation. It really is. It becomes what is wrong with me and it's not healthy. It's not good for a community. <laughs> um, we, we could be learning from each other's mistakes along the way and progressing faster mm-hmm. because we're not all having to make the same mistakes mm-hmm. and getting knocked down by it. Right. Um, and so I, I think that talking about failure is incredibly important mm-hmm. um, and we should be doing it, I think, every every field every industry should be doing this um and in our personal lives so that you know if i have have an 11 year old daughter and if i made it sound like i did everything perfectly Mm -hmm. growing up and stuff and i um but what does that say to her i mean that's that's an unrealistic (laughs) expectation exactly yeah
0: yeah, so as professionals in the educational world, we you've probably said this to people too and I say this to my students all the time, you know, failure is fine, failure is good, that's how we learn. We 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 get that theoretically. But as a professional, why do you think we're afraid to fail? Why are we or and why are we afraid to talk about our failures?
1: Um okay, so I my background in, includes instructional design. Mm. And do you know what we call Instructors who we work with when we're working on their courses with them? No. Subject matter experts.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. So how do you, how do you reconcile talking about failure when you're supposed to be the expert? Yeah. Good point. And if a student fails, they're worried about their grades. But when professionals fail, they might be worried about their livelihood. Right. And... And, um, you know, we, I I certainly have dealt with imposter syndrome in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that when we don't talk about failure, that just feeds into that because we don't, we don't recognize that everybody's actually, everybody is feeling the same way and going through the same experiences that we are. And we want to create, we keep talking about that. We want to create environments where it's safe for our students to fail. Well, the best way to do that is to model it. Right. And so we have to, but it's, it takes a culture shift just like open does.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Um, So how does that, how does fear failure uh, fuel resilience then? Because if, if, if we as professionals are afraid to fail because it's going to look bad on us professionally and we're going to be judged I think is right. is what it boils to, at least for me because I, I suffer from a fear of failure I suffer from imposter syndrome and I've tried to write about it and I've tried to talk about it um tried meaning you know I, I put it out there but it, it doesn't help take it away I still have it I still it's still there um so how does it, how does it begin to fuel resilience? Cause I'm interested in that connection that you make too.
1: I don't think that, I don't think that the fear of failure does build resilience. I think that getting it out builds resilience. Right. Okay. Because, um, hey, I talked about, I got up and gave a keynote where I talked about not only my failures, but my depression as a result of that. Right. And i it you know that made i got up and i did that as a keynote and it was live streamed and do i have any problems talking to anybody about it now (laughs) no it's out there (laughs)
2: yeah um
1: and so my resilience to that um and when you see that things can go okay sometimes i think that that helps to build that resilience okay um you know, um, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability and she said, there is no courage without vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, there has never been somebody who did something courageous where they didn't have to be vulnerable as part of that. Otherwise it's not courageous. Mm-hmm. There's no risk. That's right. Um, and so I think that, um, being vulnerable and being honest and talking about our failures, um, Build does build up resilience that isn't it's an act of courage which i think builds resilience Mm -hmm. um but we have to there's going to be times where we're going to be honest about it and it's not going to go well yeah people aren't going to be as receptive as we need them to be and we need to make sure that we can talk about our failures with the right audience too so if i get up and talk about failures around open um with people who aren't educators Mm -hmm it doesn't have the same impact because they're not going to learn from the lessons that I get from those failures around open. Right. It's okay to talk about, you know, failure in, in your general life um, to a more broad audience, but you want to make sure that you're reaching the right people mm-hmm. when you're talking about it so that they can benefit from, from your lessons.
0: Nice. Yeah. Has there been any mindsets that you've adopted to help you work through this stuff as a, as a person who helps educators or educator yourself?
1: Um, I'm trying, I am trying really hard to remember that failure leads to lessons that Uh, it's learning. It's an, it's a learning opportunity. Um, it's really easy to forget that.
2: mm
1: -hmm. Um, and it's really easy to start beating up on myself again about those things. Mm -hmm. And I really have to, uh, step back and say, okay, um, is this really matter? (laughs) Is this really, I mean, did I really, could I have, could I have, what can I have done differently? Sure. Um, And I I, want to make it, I do want to say that I, um, it would be easy to swing the pendulum the other way and say that it's never my fault. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, but that's not, that's, I, that I would just not be comfortable ever doing that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think that, that, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's finding that, that middle ground where, yeah, some things are my fault and this is what I could have done differently. And some things were their fault and there's nothing I can do about that because I can't do anything about what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, but part of my lesson is, well, maybe, maybe I don't work with that person on this, on a project like this again. Right um they're not you know what maybe that instructor is not a good choice for we had so many problems on the other one mm-hmm. the other project with them maybe they're not the right choice for, for funding for another one right um and so yeah I'm, I'm i'm trying to remember that there's lessons in it and that everybody is going through something yeah yeah
0: nice So let's talk a little bit about bravery and tenacity because that, that (laughs) that's come up too. And so first of all, like why, why do we need to be braver and what does it look like for you to be
1: braver? Um, Okay. So my, my first undergrad is actually in journalism. We were talking about this a bit Mm -hmm. and um, I was an inner, I was the entertainment reporter for my university newspaper for a semester. And I don't know what it was, but for some reason I, we gotta, I would get CDs from from record companies to review. And I don't know what it was that got me to do this, but one day I got one of them and it came with a press release. And I called up the publicist and said, hey, any chance I can get an interview? And they said, yeah. And I thought, well, <laughs> okay, that, that was a little easier <laughs> than I expected. <laughs> yeah. But it, it made me um, um, realize that the worst that somebody could have said was no. Mm. And I've, I've tried to to, um, to keep on that when it comes to open. Um, because then I just, after after that, I just, every time I got a new CD and it looked like somebody I'd want to interview, I would, <laughs> hey, can I do this? Hey, can we have this? Yeah. It was great. Um, and so now I do that with, with open textbooks. And sometimes that means waiting for a change in department head or... Right. um somebody who's could be more receptive and, um, but you know, the worst that somebody can say is no. And it doesn't mean that they're going to say no in six months too. So why not keep asking? And I don't know, I don't know how much, yes, I'm tenacious because I will stay on top of these things and I will keep talking to people about it and I will harass people, but I don't know how much bravery it takes because um, I don't know how vulnerable it makes me to ask. Okay. If, um, if the worst they can do is say no. Mm-hmm. So, when it comes to that, I don't know that there's a whole lot of courage or bravery in it. Definitely tenacity. Sure. Um, um, I think bravery comes more in having honest conversations with faculty. Once, So if they're going to adopt an open textbook, that's an easy one. Here's the textbook. We can fund if you need a test bank to go with this or anything. But if they're going to be doing an adaptation or they're going to move into open pedagogy, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it it does take some courage to when, when something is this important to me that I really want them to do this. And I know the difference it'll make for students. I think it does take a little bit of bravery because um, if they say, hey that sounds like too much work Um, I've lost them right and that means I've lost the chance to benefit those students Mm -hmm. and so the more the higher the stakes the more bravery I think it takes for us and you know I I look at people like um, Mary Burgess for example Mm -hmm. so she's got to make the case for open to grant funders to government this is seriously high stakes and she is absolutely my hero yeah um me asking somebody hey will you adopt an open textbook i don't think takes courage i think what she does takes remarkable tenacity and courage and brilliance and um yeah she's She deserves every accolade she ever gets. And Amanda Coolidge as well. And Mm -hmm. um, they're my heroes. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know how well I answered your question. Tenacity, absolutely. I'm incredibly tenacious. I make a Mm -hmm. pain in the ass of myself. Um, But I don't know how much bravery it takes.
0: Hmm. So could you tell us a time that maybe you felt you needed to be braver in the open world? Has there been an uh, an experience that you've had that you looked back and reflected and went, hmm, I probably should have been a bit more braver
1: in that? Oh. Um hmm. I I think there have been times where I didn't where I was hesitant about making the case to say a department. Okay. Um Yeah. Or seeing acknowledging red flags on projects. I didn't necessarily want to face that this was not going well.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um. So yeah, I I think that there's times like that. Um. I think I I think it was a brave thing for me to get up and talk about failure.
0: Oh, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Um, I I was shaking for you.
1: (laughs) Um. And yeah. And I actually. So I got an email from Amanda about when they invited me to do that keynote Mm -hmm. and I was I was in a bad place I was in in the middle of depression and um she knew that and Mary knew that and they were incredibly supportive but they they asked if I would come and do this and before I responded to her I actually forwarded the email to my wife and said can I do this not as in hey honey do we have time but um am I really capable of doing this right um and she said absolutely you got this go get it (laughs) and um and so yeah and i i said yes and i was i said yes without having any idea if i was going to be healthy
2: Hmm.
1: by the time of that keynote um but i didn't want to let them down okay i knew that mary and amanda would look after me and they absolutely did um Uh, So I think, I think getting up and talking about failure and mental health, it was, I think it took bravery because I didn't know how well it was going to be received by people. For sure. Um, And it went so remarkably well that it was, it gave me such a boost. I was just so excited after that. (laughs) Um, And it was, you know, I had some great questions about open during the question period at the end. And then I had people coming up to me when it was all done and the cameras were off and everything, just talking to me about, thanks, you know, thank Mm -hmm. you for talking about these things because now we can talk about them.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, the idea that people are afraid to talk about their failures, um, when, again, we're trying to create environments where students can experience their failures. That's just, you know, we, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, but it's so real too, right? Because yeah. it's it, it, there's there's a there's a piece for me too in the sense that I, I because I'm the SME, there's a certain level of technical professionalism that I have to portray to yeah. a class. And as a as a person in vocational education, there's a certain level of professionalism that I have to portray to my peers. Yeah, right? And and even even some of the colleagues that I had out in the field like I'm I still keep in contact with guys that I worked with uh, when I was out in the field doing my trade. And, you know, the, the adage of those who can't do teach has always bugged me because yeah. it's like, have you ever stepped in a classroom? Like, it's, it's, it's a complete career change. And yes, I bring all this stuff with me, but I, I've got to learn to do this craft just like I had to learn how to do my craft as an apprentice. <laughs> And when I, that's why I started adopting the phrase life is an apprenticeship because no matter where I go, there's always something for me to learn. And, and there's always something that I can do better or be better at. Yeah. And, and I see open as that, that new apprenticeship for me in the sense of going in and just really soaking up as much as I can. And that's probably one of the reasons why we have this podcast is because I want to, I want to learn from people like yourself and other people that we've interviewed and about their experience and what can I learn from this to help me move forward, not only in my role as a vocational educator, but my current role with BC Campus. And so, um, your your keynote last year was—I mean, it still made an impact on me. That's why we're talking about it now, and it was right. it was almost a year ago, right? Yeah. And um, it's just—it's phenomenal that way. So I, I totally agree with you. Um, is has there ever been a time where? tenacity has kind of backfired on you. I know there has been for me.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, I I talked about, and I, I'm not kidding. I think there are instructors who avoid me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. And um, so, yes, I I think that I've probably alienated a few people that way. Um, I think it's paid off more than I've alienated though. So (laughs) um, there's that. Um, I I think that I have to get better at checking it in other areas of my life.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, in talking to my daughter or my wife or, um, you know, yeah, they, they got the message. I don't have to keep bugging them about (laughs) 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 it. They're going to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I would, I would say there's probably some instructors that, that I've, I've alienated around campus. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So is there a balance between tenacity and fear failure slash resilience? Because these, from my perspective, they kind of all mesh together to a degree. Has there been a balance that you found between them or has it just kind of happened for you organically?
1: I think I'm still finding it. Okay. I think I'm still finding it. Um, I'm, you know, I, I said... I said a year ago that I was kind of at the tail end of the bout of depression I've been going through, but I still feel like I'm just getting my feet completely back under me. Um, um, and so I, I feel, I feel a lot more confident in what I'm doing Mm. than I probably have since I started doing this. Why is that? Um, because I'm not afraid to let people see me fail. Mm. And so the risk is less. Uh. And so I feel like, you know, being afraid of failure doesn't just mean not wanting people to see you actually fail. I think it also is we don't want to ask for help.
0: Yeah, good point.
1: And so I go to people now and say, I have no idea what this is about. You seem to, (laughs) (laughs) um, actually I have, I have a great manager, um, Wendy James, and, um, we've had some great conversations about she'll be, she's incredibly brilliant and an amazing manager and and is a huge advocate for open. Um, but she'll, she'll use terms from that she knows about and related to education. And she has a PhD and she was a K to 12 teacher for a long time and, and I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> and so I went to her privately and I said, so you said this in the meeting, I don't know what that is. And she said, I am so glad you came to me.
2: <laughs> yeah. and,
1: and she said, because I, I think that others might feel the same way and <laughs> they're just not coming yeah, to me. for sure." And so um, now I feel like because of that conversation, that if there's something I don't get, I don't have to pretend I get it and try and figure it out. I can actually go and talk to somebody in my office about it. And I think that that, that increases my confidence. Mm. Um, I, I worry less about failure as a result of that because I'm, I think I'm less likely to fail because I'm actually going and asking for help. Right. And we want our students to do the same thing. Exactly. So all the stuff that we want our students to do, tragically, we don't do enough of. Yeah, bingo. Yeah.
0: Yeah, bingo. Have you found that that's been slightly contagious with some of your coworkers?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I know it would be for me. Because I, I always feel more courageous, I guess, when I see other people doing it. Mm-hmm. and because like you said it lowers that risk value yeah. and then once you once you lower that risk value it feels like you have a lot more freedom right yeah. and, and and not just freedom to I guess say what you want to say but to be who you are yeah and, and not worry about how people are going to judge you or how they're going to perceive you because you're 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 moving past that right mm-hmm. and uh there's there's a ton of well a freedom I think is the best word to say that there's a ton of freedom yeah. in that and Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I mean, the reality is we really are our hardest judge. Yeah. And if we can remember that, then, um, and try and remember well, other people aren't judging me as hard. Mm -hmm. I think that helps us to calm it down a little.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. We're our worst critic, aren't we? Yeah. 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 So in wrapping up, I want to ask a couple of light-hearted questions because okay. this, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about these things because you know it's um, you're right. We don't talk about this stuff enough and I, and I yeah, and it's hard to because it's it's authentic, it's deep and sometimes it's raw. but you know I, I, I know from experience in my own marriage and close relationships that I have with friends and peers that if we're not dishonest with each other, there's no room for growth. No. Right. And so thank you for doing, for taking the time and being here with us, me today. Um, so, some lighthearted questions for you. Yeah. When, when, when you're in a space, and I read in a blog post a little while ago that when you like to write, you like to listen to jazz. But is there a go to band that you like listening to when you just like want to get stuff done and you want to, you want to crush it or kick it or whatever they call it in Saskatchewan?
1: no um it 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 varies it really does um and i find that time of year sort of dictates that Mm -hmm. um when it comes to um jazz i'm a big fan of diana crawls Oh, Um, yeah i really i really enjoy that but i also like you know um some of the old stuff the like Mm -hmm. i'll turn on a a jazz station that's classics Nice. and really get into that and it depends if i'm reading something it's it can just be music mm-hmm. um but if it's um if i'm writing something then words are fine uh-huh. okay. um, but i can't i can't read i find if there's somebody singing <laughs>
0: yeah no, i get it i do the yeah. same thing
1: yeah it makes it challenging um uh yeah and you know i'm 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 a california girl so i'm i'm a big fan of the beach boys actually. Oh go figure, eh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I like I, I have very eclectic tastes. I've never been a never been a fan of country music. Um oh, not yeah. really big on opera. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, but otherwise I like I like a lot of different things. Um I, I've introduced my daughter recently to Billy Joel and a little mm. Brian Adams and some Pat Benatar. Oh uh, look at
0: you. Very well, good. Well,
1: I was I was a teen of the eighties and I'd already introduced her to um uh, Louis Armstrong and... and Nice. Um, oh. Uh, little... Elf Fitzgerald. <laughs> okay, and, uh,
0: yep. yeah. Yeah, and
1: she's playing trumpet, so I said, oh, you've got to check oh, out these. And, very uh, cool. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, what are you reading right now?
1: What am I reading right now? Um, I have... Uh, I'm reading Gretchen Rubin's Better Than Before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also reading a book called... I'm going to pull up my Goodreads real quick. Um, um book called Here All Along, which is by Sarah Hurwitz. And okay. she was Michelle Obama's speechwriter. Oh, wow. But it's about how... It's basically she went through this really horrible breakup, apparently, and went looking for... Um, something to do so she delved back into um the religion she was raised in which is judaism which is also what i happen to have been raised in and it's just a a really really um easy read on an overview of various aspects of it um and something that i really like out of it and there's gonna be a blog post coming up on this is her talking about the idea of um eulogy aspects mm-hmm. as opposed to resume aspects so you should be working on you, we get so focused on what's on our resume mm-hmm. and those those bullet lines in the resume as opposed to the things that people would actually remember about us mm-hmm. and the person we are as opposed to what we do and so I'm, I've really been thinking about that a lot lately and because I think that open helps me open and some of the other stuff I do really helps me, uh, demonstrate in the person who I'm, I, I hope people see me as mm-hmm. and, you know, cause it's important to me to make a difference in the world.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. good. And that's a good segue. Cause that's my last question that I try to ask every guest is, okay. What uh, impact do you want to have in the open space, Heather?
1: Uh, uh, I want it, my, I guess I want it to be the norm. Okay. So um, it'd be really good if it was just sort of assumed that, hey, we're going to do open, (laughs) or yeah, absolutely. We're going to, we're going to bring in some pedagogy into this course. Um, Yeah. And, you know, to be able to say, oh, my job's done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there
0: you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Got to phone up somebody else for an interview after that.
1: Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I, I love. I, I just did a a, a podcast with Terry Green out in Ontario. Yes. Yeah, and and now this one, and um, and then there was a keynote, and I'm going to Manitoba to do a keynote there in March, and it's still kind of. Um, surprises me when people refer to me as being a leader in the open movement or um, because I'm an educational developer at one university in Saskatchewan. (laughs) (laughs) You know, leaders in open are people like Mary and Amanda and David Porter and Lena out in Ontario and, Mm. you know, and huge people in the U.S. and yeah. I'm, I'm an educational developer <laughs> and this is a little bit of my job at the university of Saskatchewan. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it it's, it's been quite a ride.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. it's been awesome to chat with you and thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. And, um, I hope we can do this again in the future. All the best to you and your keynote you. coming up in March. Yep. and um, I know you were on Terry Green's podcast. I saw all the, all the ads for it, so yep. I, don't, I don't know when yours is going to release on his. Maybe we'll have a race to the finish line on oh, who gets out first.
1: It's coming up tomorrow. <laughs> oh,
0: wow, yeah, he beats me. That's good. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. Oh, that's
0: good. No, no, that's good. It's all good. Yep. Um, anyway, thanks again for taking the time. Really appreciate that's it, great. and um, I'll leave some notes in the show notes on where people can get a hold of you on Twitter and uh, your University Saskatchewan email, if you don't mind. Yep. Okay, perfect. And uh, other than that, thanks again for taking the time, Heather. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you.